The following podcast uses words that I try not to use around my kids. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. How's it going, man? It's going well. Sorry that I was uh, late for today's show. I, um, I did stay up late last night. I binge watched all of Queen's Gambit in one sitting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen it yet? Yeah. I started it. Maria loved it. She already watched it, and she's like, "You got to watch this." Yeah, so. so good, so good. But um, that's not the reason for my flaking this morning. The reason for my flaking this morning <laughs> is that um, it's just a weird day after holiday, and I forgot that <laughs> I just didn't think I had anything on the calendar. I forgot that we had pushed this <laughs> to today, so it's my bad. <laughs> I apologize. No worries. What's on the show uh, today? We're gonna have a pearls versus turds on answer choice length. <laughs> okay. I'm curious to see what someone has to say about the length of answer choices. But in any case, um, someone is lost in the morass of YouTube LSAT videos. Um, okay. We have an email about LSAT improvement that isn't linear. That's not surprising. Another one about an LSAT journeys. Someone's LSAT journey isn't going well. That's too bad. Okay, we'll see what we can say about that. And then someone has a question about an alternative career in law. Cool. This will air on Monday, November 30th. The next LSAT is in January, LSAT Flex, and the registration deadline for that is December 2nd. So it's just days away. If you think there's any chance you might be taking it in January, you should sign up now because otherwise you'll lose that opportunity. Yeah, and by the way, the next, if your practice tests are within like five points of your goal, probably sign up. If your practice tests are 15 points away from your goal, probably don't. There's a gray area somewhere in there where, you know, if you're eight points or nine points away, then I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, if you're, if you're single digits, you know, low single digits especially, I'd go ahead and sign up for sure. For sure, yeah, totally. The February LSAT Flex registration begins January 6th, and then, yeah, the January LSAT Flex testing week starts Saturday, January 16th, so that's right in the middle of January. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Include your selfies if you're willing. Your questions are what drive this podcast, so please keep them rolling in. You can also leave us a review on iTunes if you love us or hate us. Oh, yes. And by the way, because this is episode 274, we're almost to episode 300, which we'll probably create by pulling together all your favorite moments from the show. Uh, so if there is something that you remember and you loved it, send it in to us and we'll include that in the episode 300 or the 300th episode. That's help at thinkinglset.com. Got a fee waiver? You want to tell people about this? Yeah, we have a very robust uh, fee waiver program. Uh, it's the most robust of any LSAT prep company that I know of. Um, when you get the LSAC fee waiver, you get their Prep Plus subscription for free. So that saved you 100 bucks already on your LSAT prep. Uh, we don't have to charge you that. 
the only thing we're going to charge you for is a $30 fee that the Law School Admission Council charges us for working with you. I was, Ben, what do you think? I was thinking again yesterday that we should lobby LSAC to get them to drop that stupid $30 fee. It's such, it's just such an annoyance. Yeah. We can't afford to not charge the students because if we did, you know, we end up with like hundreds of people <laughs> using the demon for free that because they got the LSAC fee waiver and then LSAC is going to charge us hundreds of $30 chunks. So yeah. that's why we're charging you the 30 bucks. Anyway, if you get the LSAC fee waiver, we're going to give you four months of Demon Basic for, for just $30. And we make zero off of that. We just turn around and hand it over to the Law School Admission Council. It's, it's just obnoxious. I wish they, <laughs> that's one thing they could just get rid of. It doesn't, what's that doing? I don't know what it's doing. I don't get it. It doesn't administratively, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just like, that's just LSAC wanting 30 of their dollars. Yeah. But anyway, we have to charge the $30 and then hand the money over to the LSAC. But still a hell of a bargain. Four months worth of Demon Basic uh, that's worth about 400 bucks, And you're going to get it for 30 bucks. Uh, we'll also give you 20% off of either Demon Premium or Demon Live if you got the LSAC fee waiver. But uh, do want to pay some money for a higher level of LSAT prep. So just email help at thinkinglsat.com if you want to get in on the fee waiver program. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty clear from what you just said, but just to double down on this, it's $30 for the basic, right? Uh, I was for just, four months of basic. Yeah, four yeah. months of basic. I was just um, looking at an email yesterday from a, a fee waiver student who had gotten basic for four months, and they were really upset because they thought they were getting the whole thing. So <laughs> we had to let them know, sorry, that's not how it works, but we can give you 20% off the uh, other plans and... They wanted a refund. So we gave them their $30 back, of course, right away. But um, just to clarify, <laughs> yeah. we're talking the about higher basic. level plans have a lot of live teaching involved, you know, and we have to pay our live teachers. So that's why we're not giving away the higher level plans to, to LSAC fee waiver people. Um, but we will give you Demon Basic, which should be sufficient. Four months of Demon Basic. If you can't make a lot of progress in four months of Demon Basic, you just can't make progress, period. Like there's no – there's it's available 24 hours a day and it has all of our explanations for every single question. It has the, the algorithm. Um, it even has a lot of uh, live recorded stuff now Yeah, that, where you can watch versions of my class that are recorded. So there's a ton of – there's a ton of stuff there. I hope people will take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, we should clarify every question from test one to 60. So it's still, it's a lot of tests, 60 tests. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But still. So, anyways, I hope that's helpful. Uh, just More than you can sure. do in four months. Yeah. You can't do 60 I mean, tests in four months. No. You shouldn't. <laughs> you yeah. should not. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks. I hope that's clear for everybody. Still a bargain. Hope you can take advantage of that. Pearls versus turds. So this is where we take some advice that someone has heard somewhere, somehow, and they've sent it into the show, and we decide whether it's a pearl or a turd, something you should follow or something you should run away from. So far, we have nine pearls, 39 turds, 21 ties. So really, you should be running away from 60 things that we've heard on the show so far in this segment and <laughs> only embracing nine of them. Yeah. I mean, the lesson of this exercise, 
more than anything else over the years has been most of the stuff you hear out there is bullshit. Most of the advice out there is bad. Yeah. So keep sending them into the show. Help at thinkinglsat.com. If you hear a tip that strikes you kind of funny or you hear a tip that you think is a pearl, just send it into, uh, again, help at thinkinglsat.com and we'll uh, get it on this segment of the show. Well, you know, I was just thinking as we were talking about this, um, the advice that I've given for the LSAT has perpetually gotten more and more concise over the 12 years, yeah. right? And basically it's realizing that at its core, there's only a few things you need to know. You need to know them really well. But when people start trying to get all nuanced and, you know, expand their advice way beyond the basics, it's where you run into trouble. Yeah. I mean, an issue like sufficient versus necessary for some students, you're, we're going to have to do a few dozen laps on that. I mean, there's some students where it's just, it doesn't click immediately, Yeah. but eventually the difference between sufficient and necessary is obvious. It's just basic common sense that even like a 10 year old probably understands it, like the core of it. And so yeah, we might spend some time with you making sure that it's obvious for you and you might have to ask follow-up questions and it might take a minute. But ultimately, the LSAT is very simple. Even that, even even that issue, which is, you know, the bane of most beginning LSAT students' existence, it's really just common sense. Everything we say boils down kind of to common sense. Yeah. I mean, you so may have to work. So most of these work. tips and tricks <laughs> turn out to be turds. The thing about your example there, too, is that even though it may take someone a long time to figure that out, we're still talking about one concept. We're not talking about all these different, oh, and by the way, there's this other thing and this other thing. And remember when it's this kind of question, you got to ask this kind of thing. And it's just like too many no. details. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's just not that much. I mean, I had in my office hours the other day, I had refugees from Kaplan and Princeton and Blueprint. And they had all these crazy strategies and all these crazy mixed up ideas. And it was like, yeah, you can go ahead and just forget basically all of that. Because over at the LSAT Demon, we do the LSAT the easy way, not the hard, complicated, gimmicky, convoluted way where you have to memorize a bunch of trademarks and that type of shit, it, it, it all makes perfect sense yeah. at root. We firmly believe that. I mean, that's a driving strategy for us. And but we will continue to evolve in that direction. You know, our lessons and stuff are going to get simpler and simpler. Like we might have more and more content, but we're going to have less and less that we feel is just a critical path type of a thing. Exactly. It's going to be real real basic. You know, since I'm on this topic, Ben, yeah. Uh, one challenge for the listeners, if especially if they're like novice LSAT students, can you give me an example of the sufficient for necessary flaw? Now that's that is a a semantic thing that you have to know what the definition of the sufficient necessary flaw is. Yeah. But I'm going to do one right now. You should be able to do it 
you should be able to do it with just at the drop of a hat with whatever is in your environment. You should be able to come up with an example of the sufficient for necessary flaw. And that's how I know you really understand the difference between sufficient for necessary. Okay. And like it ultimately it takes like five seconds. Okay. So I'm I'm looking at a, a piece of artwork here at my buddy's house, which features a single engine airplane. Okay. I'm gonna propose an if-then statement around that single engine airplane, which is if that airplane crashes into the face of half dome. When you're trying to fly over Yosemite, you're dead. Okay? Okay. If the single-engine airplane crashes into Half Dome, you're dead. Billy's dead. Therefore, Billy must have crashed a single-engine airplane into Half Dome. <laughs> that's, a, that's I think, a 10-year-old, a smart 10-year-old would go, wait a minute. There's lots of other ways that Billy could have died. That's because the difference between sufficient and necessary is common sense. Mm-hmm. That single air, the single engine airplane crash will kill you, but there's infinite other things that will kill you. So even if that would kill you, just because you're dead doesn't mean that that was the thing that killed you. It's yep. obvious. It's common sense. Just but to that, put this that a, in LSAT language, that crash was sufficient to kill you, but it wasn't right. necessary. You don't need it. To die. Right. I hope I go some other, although that wouldn't be that bad of a way to go, really, all else equal, you know, if I was already 95. Sure. That would be kind of a good way to go out, but if, I don't want to go out that way at 45. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the point is, um, students need to be able to come up with an example of that on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to be able to tell that you really understand the difference between sufficient and necessary. It's something that we do with all of our students. But it's, it, it boils down to something where that little check off, somebody could give me an example of that. And I would know in five seconds that they understand the concept. Mm-hmm. And then we're good. And then we're on to the next. Because the LSAT really does boil down to just really rudimentary, basic Logic. There's no fancy logic on the really. It's it's all these little baby steps, mm-hmm. like that one. Yeah, I think that's maybe why there's so much bad advice out there. Is that people aren't aren't willing? It, maybe it's hard to sell the idea that the LSAT's easy. It's like easier to sell the idea that the LSAT's hard, and you're the only one that has the arcane knowledge to explain it. I, I bet it stems from the fact that also the the biggest challenge that people have with the LSAT stems from their inability to read and understand sentences. And it's like, that's not an easy thing to teach. I mean, actually, I don't think it's that hard. You start teaching it, you figure out ways. You're like, okay, let's deal with this one sentence at a time. But it's not like so easy where you're just like, oh, yeah. remember – that yeah. the means <laughs> cat. Or I do think like it's a thing that they don't want to sell, though. You know, like I, I <laughs> that's you get a little bit of tough love in my classes or with our classes. I think we we give people 
we're very, we're very direct and we're going to give it to you straight. The, the problem you're having 90% of the time, literally 90% of the time, maybe more, is that you're just not reading it carefully enough. Like you just didn't understand. You either didn't understand what the passage said or you didn't understand what the question was asking or you didn't understand what the answer choices said, both the right one you didn't pick and the wrong one you did pick. You didn't read that shit carefully enough. That's why you missed the question. And uh, we'll read it to you slowly and carefully and make sure you understand every bit. And then once you understand all of those individual things, you're like, oh, well, so it's B. And we're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> you just had to like read it carefully. Yeah. So uh, that's like the opposite of what Kaplan does, though. Kaplan is like, oh, you're scoring 132? Oh, well, we know why you're, we know your problem. Your problem is you didn't read the question stem first on the logical reasoning and <laughs> you didn't pick and choose which game to do and you didn't pick and choose which question types to do and you didn't use all this gimmicky skipping around bullshit. And then the students, they like to hear that, I think, because they want, you know, they don't, nobody wants to know that it's just them. Yeah. That they just didn't read it right. Yeah. But that's the truth. <laughs> Almost always, that's the truth. You just you just needed to read it more carefully. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking too. Um, I still remember when that teacher. There was this teacher named John who used to work for me. I had to let him go because he was always late. But um, oh no, he was really good. He was really good at the LSAT. And one thing he said, he came from Kaplan. He's like, yeah, in my training manual at Kaplan, I'm willing to say this on the podcast. Because he just couldn't get over it. But it said that if the teacher did not understand why answers, an answer choice was wrong, to just tell the class that it was out of scope. I was like, that's an interesting... Out of scope. Just like yeah. this vague like concept. Like, oh, that's out of scope. And But it's so... You know what's so weird about it is it's like this weird thing in politics too where people get up and say things and everybody just kind of nods and you're like, that's not rational. It's It's like... You can just say it to a class. You could say, we could do it in our classes. We'd be like, oh, yeah, D, oh, look, man, that's out of scope. And people would nod. They'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like nothing happened there. <laughs> out of scope is something that I never, ever say. Yeah. People come to us saying out of scope, and I'm like, out of scope? <laughs> what do you mean? What is? What do you mean out of scope? Because even, you know, you like, talking about? if we use a more precise phrasing, right, if we say that's not relevant or irrelevant, in a lot of cases, I actually have to push back against that. I'm like, are you saying that answer choice is completely irrelevant? No, it's not irrelevant. It's just that it doesn't matter in this particular situation because of this. Yeah. But it is a relevant thing. It's talking about cats and the passages about t cats, you know? So anyways, you just have to right. dig in and understand what's actually being said again. Yep. All right, so we ready for this pearl or turd? We are. Probably turd. The person writes, I have a pearl versus turd question. It's actually an ancient Chinese cramming skill reserved as a last resort. The ancient Chinese had to cram? For what? <laughs> okay. Okay. If four answer choices are short and one answer choice is long, oh my God, I, this is not. <laughs> I, uh, I glanced at this and I was like, instant turd. There's no, no possible way that this is the right 
that this is correct. I'll just go ahead and update the scoreboard right now. This is Thank turd you. number yeah, 40. Yeah, this is a turd. Okay. So the, but anyway. The advice continues. Choose the long one. If four answer choices are long and one answer choice is short, choose the short one. If the answer choices are about the same length, choose the statistically most likely one. Wait a sec. <laughs> That's all of the them. The fuck does that even mean? Yeah. I specifically I guess that probably means the uh you know C is the answer 21% of the time on the last five questions oh on gosh, the reading yeah. comp or whatever that bullshit is. <laughs> the statistically most likely one. No. They each have a 1 out of 5 chance of being correct. Yep. And no, I have I have never seen a question ever where I thought, oh, well, there's four answers that are short and one of them that's long, so I'll choose the long one. Or there's four that are long and one that's short, so I'll choose the short one. I I actually think that the answers tend to be similar, (laughs) similarly length on the LSAT. But now I've never even thought about it, really. I specifically remember that you railed against similar strategies, citing the concern that it distracts you from understanding the answer choices themselves. Yes. Therefore, I consider this a Hail Mary move. I wouldn't even consider it a move. Just no, get this it out of your mind. Absol- this has zero value. This, this, this isn't going to help you. I mean, if, if you got a question right using this move, it's because you had a one out of five chance of getting <laughs> it right. And you got it right, that one out of five chances. Yeah, this is not – this is this is a complete turd. I wish I could give this one two turds. I mean, this is like – No. Absolutely not. Okay. uh, Well, this listener continues. In addition, I would like to argue that the reasoning behind this strategy is that certain questions demand a long-winded answer and certain ones a terse response. No. No. (laughs) No, they don't. And any lawyer can turn something terse into something long-winded without changing the meaning. Exactly. Any good editor can change something long-winded into something terse without changing the meaning. There's no such thing as a question that requires a terse or long-winded answer. Yeah. No. That is how I felt when one of my homework assignments was to come up with my own multiple-choice questions on the course material. Okay, that's great what you thought is you were writing your own test for the first time in your life as opposed to someone who's done it. their entire career, like the people they hire at the LSAT. Boy, could you imagine having our students do that? That I mean, it's like I could see that, I guess, being kind of fun, but the result of that would be complete garbage for anybody scoring 170 or less would not be capable of writing valid, valid logical reasoning questions. Yeah. What, what do you, that just seems like a, uh, but I would love to know what program that is where they're having you write your own multiple choice questions on the course material. That sounds like busy work. Did you already cover all 9,000 of the existing LSAT questions? I didn't, I didn't know if this person was referring to LSAT homework in particular or just like. Like well, even worse would be general. multiple choice questions on the the theory, the theoretical lecture that you had about the work, about about the LSAT. I mean, that would be even worse. It would be even worse. Write a multiple choice question about 
LSAT question types or something like that. <laughs> what a waste of time. So I wonder, this person continues, so I wonder if that would help you make your final judgment. No, we already made our final judgment, but thanks. Um, <laughs> let this go. Hey, you you should be easily eliminating three answers to every question already. I mean, the, th- the, <laughs> the truth is that four wrong answers are completely wrong and one right answer is completely right because of the content. It has nothing to do with the length of the answer choices. <laughs> the, and th- I mean, this sounds like a complete, complete guess. This is a Hail Mary when you're already down by 40 with two seconds to play. I mean, this is just like, this is not a Hail Mary. This is a punt. You've, you've lost at this point. I mean, this is just not, there's no value in this tip. Yeah, this is weird. This is where you can't even eliminate one answer. I don't, I, I still right. am going back <laughs> like, to, what? to your point about the ancient. How is this ancient? Did they have multiple choice? Back <laughs> ancient Chinese cramming skill. <laughs> when the ancient Chinese were studying <laughs> for their exams, their multiple choice exams, Maybe. But they knew the statistical likelihood of each answer choice. What? Is uh, is drawing sticks like an ancient Chinese thing? <laughs> Maybe they're like, choose the shorter stick. Yeah, that's that's the point. Oh, the of, shorter straw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the point of the exercise, actually. Although usually when you're drawing straws, you want the one that's the same. That's you true. Know, you don't. You don't usually want a different one when you're drawing straws. Usually, bad things happen to the person who draws the short, the one short straw. Yeah, this is true. Okay, well, if you want to get the short straw, follow this advice. <laughs> Thanks, whoever this was for sending this in. That was a that was a kick. Uh, two that gave us two turds actually, but it was also <laughs> twice as funny so that's pretty good as yeah. usual um anyways you want to take this next one yeah so the subject says lost in the morass of youtube lsat hey guys found your videos on youtube as i've been doing basic research on the lsat i also found the episode index on the website which has been really helpful uh, that's thinking we have a index of all 270 whatever of our shows if you want to look up stuff by topic um couple questions One, there are tons of opinions about everything, whether to study independently using a book versus taking a class versus having a tutor, whether to read the question stem first, although I have your opinion on this already. Yeah, don't do it. My question is, as someone who is just getting started doing research and prep, do you have suggestions to help sort through good advice and bad advice? (laughs) That's what we were just doing with pearls versus turds. Yeah, this is tough. I kind of know this position because anytime you go into a field that you're not familiar with, you're you're like, should I listen to this quote expert or this other expert? Like really, who is the actual expert? Like I can tell you, hey, I've read all the different advice out there and my own advice has been cut and refined over time largely through this podcast, through hearing Nathan's views, through hearing other people's views, through teaching it itself. And so I would say, hey, just go to the demon, do actual practice problems, 
and learn from our explanations. That is the best way to cut through the noise. But it's tough. When you're in that position, you're like, should I believe Ben or should I believe Joe, who's telling me about how he got his 165 on YouTube, went up 20 points? I don't know, you know? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I would I would find somebody who seems like they are giving it to you straight and in a way that that you like. So, you know, somebody who you believe that they're not bullshitting you or just trying to sell you something and then somebody who you feel like you want to spend some time with them on this issue. Ultimately, most students study for three months, four months at a kind of a minimum mm -hmm. and might study for six months or 12 months or longer. And so you are going to be, you know, I would find a guru and I would, I would stick with them. But it's, I think this question is about how do you find the guru in the first place? Yeah. You know, I just, I, I would pick somebody who makes it sound like it just, I, I feel it clicking. I always tell people, you know, people like to call me and they want like a sales pitch about the demon. Hmm. And I'm like, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up for the free trial, do some drilling, read our explanations, watch our video explanations, watch the videos of my sample classes. You're either going to love that or hate that in probably five minutes. But you could for sure spend a week doing that free trial and then make up your mind. I think if you're listening to the podcast, the LSAT demon is the for sure very best way you could go for prep. Yeah. If you like the podcast, you're going to like the demon. If you hate the podcast, then you're not hearing my pitch for the demon anyway because yeah. you already turned it off. But if you go look at the demon free trial and you don't like our explanations or you don't like my classes or whatever, then go then find another guru. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, I think it should take you like five, 10 minutes probably worth of watching a video where I'm trying to explain something or Ben's trying to explain something. Mm -hmm. And if we're not making it make sense for you, then there's lots of other teachers out there that would probably be right for you. So if you're just sorting through random YouTube videos, yeah, I mean, I would just, the ones that make sense and don't make you want to gouge your eyeballs out. It, it should like make sense. Like if it sounds all convoluted and overly complicated, that's not, that's not it. It should sound simple and straightforward. It should, you should be like, oh yeah, I follow that step and I follow that step. Like if you're watching a logic games explanation or whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Maybe I wouldn't have done those three steps that way myself, but I can see how each of your steps makes sense. Oh yeah. I think I could do that. That's the person you want teaching you LSAT. Yeah. Cool. Number two, in my research, I'm finding that taking the test this spring, which was my goal initially, will put me on the LSAT flex. I'm a little concerned that most of the resources I'm finding are geared specifically towards the in-person test and not the actual flex. For example, would you recommend modifying the next 10 actual prep tests to more closely parallel the flex exam? 
take one of the each different sections and skip the additional LR, for example. This is so much easier in the daemon. <laughs> Just take the flex version of the test. We've converted all of them into a flex test, which is the same thing, yeah. by the way. All we're doing is dropping the second LR section, but we've also, to the best of our ability, estimated what the score conversion would be so you can see what score you'd likely get on the basis of those three sections. Uh, it's just... 10 times easier to have the demon do that for you. I, yeah. And it's on people are freaking out about <laughs> the people for, are freaking out about the flex, but it's not that different. I mean, all they did was drop one of the sections of LR. Yeah. So if you have one of those books, one of those 10 actual official books that everybody used to have for the LSAC or for the LSAT, you can still use that book drop one of the sections of LR and multiply the scoring conversion table by 75%. Uh, the numbers of questions correct. Just multiply those all by 75%. And that's as close as you're going to get. But yeah, <clears throat> taking it online is better. And you get our explanations when you're done with the section. Because the flex is online. Yeah, I just yeah like, and you get our explanations I, in the demon. I don't know. I, yeah. Well, but I mean, all right, but let's be agnostic. If, we, if, if you're not a demon subscriber, if you're, you know, what... I don't think it's that big. So just to answer this person's point, the flex is very similar to the official test. They have not changed the content of the questions at all. Drop one of the sections of LR and you're good. You don't really need to do that much to adjust. Yeah. Number three. I, well, hold on really quick. I will, I, to respond to your agnostic claim, I, I've been thinking about this actually since this person asked question one. When I first started teaching – I remember people would come to me and they would say, hey, I'm thinking about your class or I'm thinking about these other classes. And if it was like Kaplan or Princeton Review, I was like, please just save your money. But other classes, I was like, yeah, you know, they're different, but they have their pros and cons. I just don't feel that way anymore. And I think about the demon and the cost of the demon. I'm sorry that I'm such an advocate, but I, and I know it's self-serving. I just, I don't have faith in these other systems. And and when someone's sitting there with a book of 10, I'm like, okay, great. And then what are you going to do when you're going to review it? Like, what's the point of doing this test if you're just going to sit there and kind of then surmise your own, like, solutions from it? I yeah. Just, I just think Your time cost- is your most important resource. And for $95 a month or $195 or $295 a month for our higher levels, you're going to get a lot more out of your most precious resource, which is time. So I agree. I mean, if you have one of those next 10 books, you probably should just instead sign up for the demon and do those tests in the demon where you can immediately learn from each one of your mistakes. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sorry. I mean, we we talk about the demon every time. People are probably sick of it, but I just like, it was invented for a purpose and I feel like it's fulfilling that purpose. (laughs) <laughs> All right, number three, I've taken two baseline practice tests. The first test I took on a strict time limit and I ended up with a 153. I immediately realized that I was working too slowly. Oh no. Because I had many questions left over at the end that I hadn't even touched. This is obviously a new listener, by the way. Yeah. On my second diagnostic, I didn't set a timer and just worked at my own pace on the questions. Predictably, when I answered everything, I did better. 160. That's not even, that's so telling, Ben. That's not even that much better. (laughs) Obviously, that's not a realistic result because of the time constraints I ignored. But are there tips y'all have for working more quickly? I took the longest on reading comp and logic games. And that is an email from B. So thanks, B. Yeah, B, it shows you have a lot to learn first. Because if you're 
not restricted by time and you're getting a 160, you're missing a lot of questions for no reason other than the fact you do not understand them. Right. It, it proves, B, that you should not be worrying about time at all. Now, you should be timing yourself whenever you sit down to do a full practice test or even a section. You should be timing yourself because there's no such thing as an untimed LSAT. But that, that improvement from 153 to 160, it actually it, it, it proves the exact opposite of the point you think it proves. You think it proves you need to work on speed, but what it really proves is you're not understanding. You're just not understanding what you're reading. Mm -hmm. You missed like 20 or 25 questions, even with unlimited time. Yeah. You're not understanding the words on the page. You're not understanding the passage or the question or the answer choices. So you need to totally give up on speed, focus only on accuracy until you can get essentially every question you attempt right. Then you will get faster over time, but that will emerge naturally as a result of actually understanding the questions. You eventually will be able to cut through the answer choices very quickly because you'll essentially be predicting the answers. Yeah. I mean, that's, if I had to give one tip for how to go fast, predict the answer choices instead of weighing and balancing all the answer choices against each other, hoping to find the right one. You should know what the answer is before you even start reading those answer choices, which means you needed to slow down reading the passage, slow down reading the question, slow down to make a prediction. If we're talking about games, you need to slow down and make a better setup, make some inferences before you start messing around with the questions. But uh, B, you need to slow down, not speed up. You, you need to work on your accuracy first. Anybody can finish and have terrible accuracy. You need to not finish. You need to just worry about the accuracy and let the speed come to you. Thanks, B. I don't have anything yeah, to, thank you, B. Add, to add to that. Um, I, I agree. Hey, guys, the LSAT Demon team is growing, and we have need for some help. Uh, specifically, we're looking for people who have expertise in YouTube and Instagram, um, cutting videos, titling them, keywords, uploading the content, all that type of stuff. If you think you can help us, please email help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, if you have an LSAT score, we would love to see that, but uh, not necessary. We also would love to see your portfolio of work. So if you could send us some links when you do, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. This next one, the subject line is LSAT improvement isn't linear. I know you both always say that progress isn't linear. So I thought I would share my experience with the test, which is exactly that. I used the demon for all of May and June until my test on June 14th. Okay. And I began to see a major difference in my understanding of the test. Thank you both so much for all your help. Exclamation point. Yeah, no problem. Praise the demon and don't pay for law school. <laughs> okay. So we have an image here. Um, bottom line. We can share this. Yeah. Uh, go to thinkinglset.com and look at the show notes for this show. We should have this uh, table and chart. This person started with a diagnostic of 160 in August of 2019 and ended with an official score of 174 on June 14th, 2020. Um, supposedly started the demon somewhere in the middle here in May. But um, yeah, the graph looks like a stock market ticker, right? It's like going up and down. <laughs> 
and then it but it's it's trending up over time. There's a huge drop, by the way, right before their official test. They right before their official test, they got something that looks like a 163, maybe. 161. 161. So here they're making progress and then they drop down to 161 and then they got a 174, 176, 174. Uh, the 174 being their official score. But I've that happened to me. I dropped 11 points before I took the test officially. I've heard it before in my office hours just over the years. Sometimes you just have shitty days and you can't let that destroy your mentality. You just got to learn from your mistakes and then practice again. Randomness exists. If you flipped, you know, take a, take a coin out and flip it five times. You're going to get a mix of heads and tails. Some days you're going to get all the heads and some days you're going to get all the tails. And that has nothing to do with anything other than luck. And, um, until you get to the point where you're regularly scoring in the one seventies, you're going to have some uncertainty on 20 of the questions on any given test. And some of those you're going to get right. And some of those you're going to get wrong. And some days you're going to get them all right. And some days you're going to get them all wrong. And so your data points are going to just ping wildly all over the place. Every student has a, track record that looks like this if they were honest and kept track mm-hmm. every student is going to have a wildly fluctuating record of practice tests yeah and uh, if you pay attention to the like average of your last five like we could fit a uh, if we if we put a uh, moving average on this mm-hmm. it would be a much smoother curve yeah right i mean it is clearly trending upward but it has crazy swings it would have been really easy for this person to get down on themselves, you know, with that 161 mm-hmm. one week from their official test. But, you know, hopefully if you've been studying for a while and keeping track of your results, you can just shake it off as, oh, that was a bad day. Whatever. It was just luck. And they came right back with three in a row in the 170s, including their official test. So, yeah, that's how it should look for everybody. Cool. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Next one. LSAT journey is not going well. Uh Uh-oh. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I graduated from undergrad in May of 19 with a GPA of 3.93. I had my sights set firmly on Harvard, Yale, Stanford, or at the very least, T14. I thought I would end up going to law school right out of undergrad, but I couldn't get my LSAT to where it needed to be. And it was for the best. I joined the Redacted, and I am now working with Redacted. (laughs) I am a Redacted, Redacted teacher. (laughs) I am getting two master's degrees, one from Redacted, and working at 65 hours plus a week as a teacher. Wow. Wait, what now? 65 plus hours a week as a teacher? (laughs) It's a lot of hours. Yeah. I say all this to say I need to be efficient and precise with my time. Okay, we get it. You're busy. Trying to work full time and get two master's degrees at the same time. Why? 
Why? Yeah. Why are you getting master's degrees if you're going to go to law school? You need to prioritize. That's what you need to do. Mm. Don't become a faster hamster. Become a smarter hamster. Mm. Yeah, step out of the wheel. <laughs> my LSAT journey began with me getting a 156 as my diagnos- diagnostic score. That's a fine diagnostic, by the way. Yeah. This was over three years ago at this point. I have studied on and off using the wrong materials since then. I haven't seen much of an increase. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, boy. That's a shame. When, when we see people with a 156 diagnostic, we're like, oh, we're going to get you to 170 yeah. in a matter of months. I've been using 7Sage since the beginning, and I'm not sure why it never occurred to me to switch to a different program, but it didn't. Once I started listening to the podcast, my score began to increase, and my last LSAT PT was a 165. I had been, parentheses, I had been reading question stems first on LR for almost two years straight, and changing just that aspect helped a lot. Hmm. Up, no shit. Reading the question stem first is a stupid gimmick. You will do better on LR if you don't do that. This was about three months ago. Okay. After nearly two years on and off study, including three months now studying for about an hour a day, I am fed up and just want to do the damn thing. (laughs) I know I need to get at least a 175 to have a good shot at the law schools I want to go to. No, no, you don't. 3.93 undergraduate GPA is going to be in the 75th percentile at literally every law school. Hmm. 170 anything is going to get you into, I would think you have a good shot at all of these schools. You don't need the 99.9th percentile LSAT score. I mean, great if you can get it, but... Anyway, we should focus on 170 before we worry too much about 175. Yep. Okay. Then there's a long ass sentence that's redacted. I need to be precise with my time. <laughs> I also Why is need... this stuff redacted? Why was it included in the email? <laughs> I I don't know. I need I need to be precise with my time. I also need all caps to score in the mid to high 170s and refuse to stop. Till I motherfucking get there. Well, fine. I mean, I hope you make it to the mid 170s. People who start, by the way, with a 156 cold diagnostic get into the mid 170s all the time. But I'm detecting, I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm detecting a holding on to the steering wheel way too tightly. Mm hmm. Setting goals that are too high instead of focusing on intermediate, more achievable goals. You know, this 175 or bust mentality ain't it. It's killing you. You're taking practice tests and you're saying, what do I got to do to get that 175 now? And that's going to prevent you from getting the 175. That itself, that alone is the wall that's stopping you from your success. You need to do the best you can on the question you're working on now. Right. One question at a time. Yeah. Or the question you just did and already missed it 
or struggled with it, you need to do the best you can on reviewing that question so that you really fully understand why the right answer is right and why the wrong answer is wrong. Think about how you could have maybe predicted that answer. You know, you need to be like getting maximum value out of every question you're reviewing. Yeah. Instead of being all, you know, this is, it's like there's a little edge of like hysteria in this email. Which I feel you, you've been studying super, you know, you've been working really hard for three years and you want the thing to be over. Yeah, I get it. But it always is going to come back to one question at a time and just really fully understanding that question. By the way, this reminds me also of your analogy that you gave in the last episode, I think, with Elon Musk. This would be like Elon Musk saying, I have to get to Mars, which is, by the way, what he believes. But then going out and being like, okay, this rocket's going to go to Mars. If it doesn't go to Mars, <laughs> you guys are all fucking fired. I am so done with this shit. I goddamn want this now. He <laughs> just gets behind the driver's wheel and just tries to blast himself to Mars on the first attempt. Oh, and then if it doesn't work, he just – and he miraculously survives yeah. somehow. <laughs> he like, just gives up. I've been up at this or, for three years. I don't understand. Yeah. No, baby steps. Yeah, yeah, you just wanted to get into the atmosphere first. You just got to get to the 160s. I mean, you talked about 170s just a minute ago. He's This person's, I don't know where they're at, but they got to get to the 160s. Let's just get there. Yeah. Um, I want to goddamn get there, the email continues. Is the LSAT demon right for me? And if so, which level would you recommend? My finances are tight, but if that $300 a month version really is worth it, then that is what I will do. Best Anon. Um, you know, I, I would try one month at that highest level. You've been studying for a long time. You're wasting your time. An hour a day for how long? Well, two years on and off studying, yeah. including an hour a day for the last three months. That's a lot of time you've been throwing at this thing. And you're still just not getting it. For for two ninety five a month, you could come to live classes, multiple different live classes, seven days a week. I think we could get you on a better path. After that first month, if you're still studying, you could downgrade to one ninety five or to ninety five a month. Totally, and continue to do all your studying in the demon. I agree. Give us one month at that live level of subscription. I'll be shocked if you don't feel. I think it will be transformative. I think you will think differently about the test. I think you'll realize how easy it is. Just try one month, and then if that's not it for you, you can downgrade or you can go somewhere else. But the one month with like all of the live interaction with me and with Ben and with all of our teachers, I think will do wonders. You know, and, and what you really need to focus on during that month is just the mistakes that you're making. You need to stop making those mistakes. So the way you do that is you really deeply understand that one question, that one mistake that you've made. And so bring them to the teachers. Ask our teachers. Ask me. Like, push back. You have to be willing to say, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm guessing that the person who's listening to our response right now is thinking to themselves, okay, I guess I'll do the live program. Um we don't advocate that people should study for the LSAT full-time. We don't think you should quit your job and just do the LSAT. That's a recipe for disaster. But I think the flip side of that is also true. I don't think you should be working on two masters 
and teaching six, working 65 hour plus hours a week as a teacher, and then trying to like in the glimmer of your free time, try to cram in some LSAT. It just seems like a recipe for disaster. So why are you getting these masters and can you let them go? And my guess is you're going to say, wait, I've invested all this time and money into them. I can't walk away from them, but you got to remember that's a sunk cost. That may take time to sink in, but I, I don't understand either do the masters or do one masters or do law school. Don't do both. I don't understand this process. It's going to just... Yeah, I mean, the JD completely trumps... Like, JD is the only thing you need to practice law. It's like, if and only if you're going to practice law, you need a JD. Nobody needs a master's to practice law. I mean, maybe you get like an LLM to get a tax specialty or something like that. But a master... Like, what? probably these are like master's in education or something like that. I don't know. Studying to be an administrator, you know, or something like that. But if you're going to be a lawyer, you're not going to do that anymore. So can you pause the master's degrees? 65 plus hours a week at work as well. I mean, that's almost 10 hours a day, seven days a week as a teacher. That's an awful lot of work. It seems like, I mean, I applaud you, I guess, if you're doing your best for the kids, but. Set boundaries. You, were, you yeah. will work more effectively if you just say, I can't do more than this, and you will figure out what you need to do, and you will do it in that time. Yep. Go to your boss with a list of two things that are just taking up too much of your time, and you don't want to do them anymore. Just I'm not doing these things. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for writing in, by the way. The last email is, the subject line is, Alternative Careers in Law, Q1. <laughs> Okay, question one. I've been studying for three to five years, but I'm not making LSAT progress. How do I know where to qu- whether to quit? This is a question that we get a lot. And it's a really hard question to answer. Uh, I don't want to crush people's dreams, but there are some people for whom the LSAT, after three to five years of diligent studying, is still just a complete mystery. And I'm sure you've had this experience, Ben, where you've got students that you really like, but it's just not happening for them. And they keep grinding and grinding and grinding and get really frustrated. And then they ask you that question of how do I know when to quit? So I was talking to the teachers on our Slack channel, and this very helpfully came up from... Katie. Basically, it's just a list of alternative careers where you can still practice in the law, but not as an LSAT, JD, bar accreditation, lawyer. Lawyer adjacent, doing law shit, working with the kind of people that you might want to work with, making, frankly, the kind of money that many, many lawyers make. So anyway, I thought this was a really helpful list from, from Katie, but you want to keep reading uh, her. Yeah. But before I read it, I just wanted to say really quick how I'd answer this question. How do I know whether to quit? I would say one, are you using the right approach to the LSAT, right? If you're using the wrong approach, that may be what's holding you back Two, 
are you studying enough? I would hate for people who study like a, an hour here and there, once or twice a week. Yeah, off and on, like the, her last email said, off and yeah. on. Whenever people say off and on, I'm like, oh, really? How much of that was off? Yeah. If you don't study enough, like we're always telling people to slow down, do one to two hours a day, don't do more than that. But if you don't do enough, you have the same problem. You're not going to see progress. And so it's going to like, what's the point of doing any? Like you're, it's going to be demoralizing, right? People have to see that progress to get that dopamine kick to keep going. And that means you got to do enough work to see that progress. And then I would say that sometimes even with you have, when you have the right approach, sometimes you're still not understanding how to implement it. And so maybe you got to work with an, a tutor for even just a couple hours to make sure you're heading in the right direction and really get what you're supposed to be doing. And then you try to put that into practice for a few months. And if you're still not seeing progress, then maybe really this isn't the right path for you. But um, there are other things that could be preventing you from making progress. Okay. Katie says, uh, hey, Nathan, the conversation on the Slack channel about students who may be barking up the wrong tree when, I, when it comes to law school got me thinking about alternative careers in law. Okay. I've listed out four options below, and these are just the ones that I know of. There are underexplored options, especially for anyone interested in public interest, as they may offer a cheaper path to an equally fulfilling career. This might be an interesting podcast topic. This is what you're just talking about. Number one. DOG, DOJ accredited representative in immigration. The Department of Justice runs a limited licensure program that allows non-attorneys to represent people in their immigration proceedings as long as they work for an approved nonprofit organization and demonstrate proper training and good character. Partially accredited representatives can represent people in affirmative proceedings like visa applications, affirmative asylum claims, and family-based petitions. Fully accredited representatives can also represent people in court, defending them against deportation. Many organizations treat and pay their DOJ accredited representatives the same as their staff attorneys. Many immigration nonprofit job postings are actually titled staff attorney or DOJ accredited representative. This doesn't require a law degree and so on. So she gives us three examples. So here's a job posting, for example, that says immigration attorney or DOJ accredited representative. Yeah, I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, neither had I. And um, for many people who are studying immigration, you know, they're, they're like interested in becoming an immigration lawyer. And you know, think they want to do exactly this kind of work. Well, the fact that there's a path here where you can do the kind of work helping the people you want to help without the LSAT, without three years worth of a JD, without the bar exam, which is a major hurdle in certain places like California. If you can actually get started doing all of this work now, if that sounds like the kind of work you want to do, asylum claims, family-based petitions, defending against deportation, you think you want to work in nonprofit doing this kind of work, I would for sure go down this path before I went down the JD path anyway. Sure. Because this is going to be super – I mean I'm not saying it's going to be super easy to do. But it's going to be a hell of a lot easier than getting a three-year 
getting into law school, getting a three-year JD, and then passing the bar. I mean, you have to do so much crazy shit. Do you think that people like the people who want to do this kind of work, do they give one shit about wills and trusts? Do they give one shit about contracts and corporate law corporations and you know, all the other crazy hoops they're going to make you jump through in law school. And instead you could get to work. So we have a link here from idealist.org for an immigration attorney or a DOJ accredited rep. We have another link um, from, this is at cliniclegal.org. I don't know, Department of Justice accredited representative. We have another link here from lensa.com listing a salary, by the way, in Chicago of fifty dollars to $55,000 a year. DOJ accredited representative, job posting. And I imagine that these are just the ones that Katie dug up in 10 minutes of writing this email. Yeah. We'll have links to all of this stuff on the, uh, on the website, thinkinglsat.com. Just look at today's episode. By the way, it's episode 274. Okay. If you want to see these notes. But I mean, <laughs> simultaneously, Ben, I'm on uh, Twitter the other day, and I see someone called Legally Bitchy. Tweet, the salary range that this employer is offering for an attorney position. Wow. And the job posting is from Lafayette, Louisiana. Associate attorney is the title. Salary, twenty six dollars to $30,000 a year. Holy I mean, it's in Louisiana. You know, s- like everything's just like super dirt cheap in the South, but um, including salaries. But... Wow. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine going to law school for three years, like master the LSAT, get admitted to law school, go to law school for three years. Oh my gosh. God forbid pay tuition, hopefully get a scholarship to law school. Cause boy, you can't afford to pay any tuition. If you're going to come out and make 26 to $30,000 a year salary as a practicing attorney. How much cheaper is, is the South? <laughs> it is significantly cheaper, but it's, yeah, I mean, the problem with cheap places to live is that the salaries are also I nothing. Mean, that is nothing. Wow. Yeah. That's in Lafayette. But point is, you know, you could go to law school for three years and still make $30,000 salary. You could go to law school for zero years and get one of these jobs and probably make more than that. Anyway, want to move on to this uh, next option? Sure. Her sec- there's, there's four of these, by the way. That was, the, that was DOJ accredited representative in immigration. So here's another one. Her second recommendation is court navigators, which is a civil example. For students interested in civil litigation, many jurisdictions run court navigator programs to promote access to justice for folks who can't afford an attorney. Court navigators help people find the courtroom, access social services, and complete paperwork. Navigators can work on issues like family law, housing, debt collection, and domestic abuse. These can be volunteer positions or full-time jobs. Being a navigator doesn't require a law degree. Uh, And then her example is a housing court navigator with a salary of $50,000. And that's in Boston. That's amazing. I mean, and then there's other... So what that means is that there's also other volunteer positions. Again, a great way to change your life. You know, if you're not happy with your current job... Why don't you pick up a volunteer position doing 
as a court navigator in your jurisdiction, start getting practical experience right away. Find out what it really is like inside the courts. Mm-hmm. And then potentially get a paid job as a court navigator. Yeah. Does this motivate you or demotivate you? If it's not exciting, then it's probably not the kind of career you want to pursue. But that's a $50,000 a year job in Metro Boston. And now of course Boston is expensive, but 50 grand is a lot more money than most I would say of our students are making at their current job that they hate. And this is a way that you could already start working legal. I mean, that's not adjacent to the law. That's inside the damn court. Yeah. And make 50 grand doing it without a JD. All right. All right. Her uh, third recommendation is an investigator or mitigation specialist. This is in criminal law. For students interested in criminal law, being an investigator or mitigation specialist might be a good option. Investigators can work for both defense attorneys or prosecutors. Mitigation specialists usually work for defense attorneys. They try to develop relationships with clients to help identify mitigating factors that the defense can use. Mitigation specialists usually work on high-level felonies and capital cases. The federal public defender offices are often hiring for both investigator and mitigation specialist positions. Neither of these jobs require a law degree. Examples, we have one in Virginia here for mitigation specialists. We have a capital habeas investigator. This is in, I don't know where that is. Um, legal assistant investigator for the lawyers committee for civil rights, a gang investigator for a district attorney. The salary here is 2,100 to 2,500 every two weeks. Okay. That's for that gang investigator one for the DA. Yeah. And where, so that's in Fort Bend County, Texas. That second one, the lawyers committee for civil rights one. Oh, sorry, no, the the second one, the ca- the capital habeas investigator, that one was in Tampa. Mm. So we got there's these jobs are all over the place, paid jobs, no law degree, potentially helping exactly this the type of people that you want to help. You know, whether you want to be on the prosecution side or the defense side, whether you want to be or or whether you want to just be doing civil stuff. There's all these different jobs that you could get that don't there. I mean, I had no idea these jobs existed, which means that our listening audience and our students clearly have, I mean, some people of course know about some of these jobs, but most of our people have no idea that any of these things are even options for them. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's just like you have to go to law school and be a lawyer with a capital L or not be able to do any of this kind of work, but that's just not true. You can do all kinds of work without the JD. Yeah. All right. This fourth one, this is interesting because I feel like we've read multiple personal statements along these lines. It's a legal interpreter. For anyone who speaks a foreign language, being a legal interpreter or a court interpreter is a great job. I did this for two years. It's not the same as practicing law, obviously, but it's amazing to help somebody communicate with their attorney or tell their story in a courtroom. This doesn't require a law degree. 
Best Katie. Um, how many statements have we read where someone's like, oh, I want to, you know, use my Spanish and my legal experience as a lawyer. It's like, you don't have to be a lawyer to do that. Well, anyway, this is clearly a step in that direction, right? Yeah. So it's not even like it's one or the other. It's, hey, why don't you start helping people right now? Quit whatever terrible job that is that you have and go start interpreting in your courts. Yeah. I mean, You'll it's learn kind a lot of a sad story. I, ha- I had a friend um, who was super into immigration and like asylum cases and volunteered in Oakland to help people like help defend, you know, like defend people from deportation essentially. Mm. And she was devastated one day when her poor client, some guy from Guatemala, lost his case, basically got deported because the interpreter didn't show up. Oh, man. Like interpreter wasn't there. Poor guy had no way of telling his story to the court. Administrative official just says, yeah, you're denied. Like on the papers, there's nothing new here. Like I, I'm not getting any new evidence out of this proceeding. Boom. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. You know, so that's an example where someone who speaks Spanish and English could have just like absolutely saved the day for this guy, and gotten paid. By the way, those I think that that was a uh, like an hourly paid interpreter who just didn't get their shit together enough to show up. Hmm. Sad story. Yeah, but that's. There's the opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and my friend who, who like really wanted to help this person was grinding away at the JD to try to go be a lawyer to help people. She ended up never practicing law. She ended up accumulating a shit ton of debt and never practicing law. Hmm. And instead, you know, somebody with language skills could have just showed up and actually potentially helped this person. Yeah. Um, without worrying about the JD. Anyway, if any of these are ringing a bell or you're like, that's not really the right word. If any of these are sounding of interest to you, we've got links on the show page for episode 274 for all of this stuff. And you can investigate these different ideas in your local jurisdiction. Again, to sum them up, DOJ accredited representative helps people represents them on their immigration cases. Court navigators is in civil law. You just like help people figure out how to navigate the whole court system. Investigator or mitigation specialists work for both prosecution and defense in criminal law. And then legal interpreters are probably, I would imagine in every jurisdiction in demand. If you do have language skills that you think you could employ. Yeah. So, you know, for, (laughs) The whole purpose of this was for people who have really been grinding away on the LSAT for a long ass time and not finding any satisfaction. One of these things might be an alternative to the JD that you thought was necessary. Or even if it's not an alternative, it could be the kind of thing where you sort of put the JD on hold for a minute, improve your circumstances, you know, quit your shitty job that you hate. Go get one of these jobs where you feel like you're doing the kind of work that you actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Find out a little bit more what these systems are like. Probably improve your English language skills. You know, the, all any of these things has to be good for your LSAT score. Yeah. Because you're just going to be 
around lawyers and judges and courts and stuff using the kind of language that those types of people use in your everyday job, get paid and kind of, you know, make connections and you're working your way toward a legal career. Maybe it does end up in a JD, but if it doesn't end up in a JD and you end up in a happy career situation doing any of these things, that's a huge win. Totally. I really appreciate Katie for putting this, uh, email together. Katie is one of our awesome teachers at lsatdemon.com. I'm blown away at how awesome our staff has been. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it, Katie. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. You can follow N Fox on Twitter. Leave us. That's me. That is Nathan. Um, leave a review on iTunes if you're willing. We love to hear from people. Try to write something if you can. That even helps us even more. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, just go to lsatdemon.com and check out the free trial. That's seven days. Or email help at lsatdemon.com and they can always help you. We have three awesome members of the demon team managing that email um anyways that was episode 274 of the thinking lsat podcast thanks all y'all for listening nice knowing you don't pay for law school